Welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I have a limit against people calling me Girly Juice as if that's my name. I've It went on for too many years, and partners have occasionally tried to do it, and I'm like, no, that's pretty weird. Yeah. I'd be like if you called Steve Jobs Apple in bed. Like it was just, it's just kind of a weird vibe. Yeah. No, that's reasonable. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and porno maker. And yeah, I don't know. I'm still thinking about that and don't have a third thing, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I'm sure that we've talked about this before, whether on or off the pod, but there Mm -hmm. is something about being called the name of my blog, especially in like a sexy or flirty context from like, you don't know that you just made me think about work, but that's all that you accomplished is you made me think about how... I have a blog post due in a few days or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine doing it in like a sexy or flirty context. Like there were definitely points where we called you that when like you were the internet person who didn't have another name on the internet, and that is how we knew right. you. But right. like I couldn't fathom like dating you and just still being like, yeah, that's a name. Yeah, it's kind of like if I was dating Rebecca Black and I just always called her the Friday girl. Like, yeah, you know. We've learned, we've grown, we've moved on from then. (laughs) So we're back talking about limits. Last week, we answered a bunch of listener questions about limits as they pertain to sex and kink. Mm -hmm. And we got so many that we're back doing a part two. Some of these are very meaty discussion questions, and I'm excited to get into it. My favorite kind. Yeah. Uh, We kind of touched on this a little bit last week, but I'd love to give kind of a more specific answer to this person who was asking, how can I safely push on my soft limits, whether alone or with a partner? Um, And I'm going to assume that what they mean by this is like, they are interested in exploring things that they currently have labeled as soft limits because they're curious if those things like might not be limits if they were to push on them. Or sometimes people do this for reasons of, kind of like exposure therapy, like wanting to heal a particular aversion to something. Mm -hmm. I think the first step I would recommend is make sure that you are intimately acquainted with why it is a limit, Mm -hmm. which seems like a thing that should be obvious to people, right? If, If something's on your limit list, why should be maybe the first thing you know? But I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah, I think there are a great many things that can just feel gross or feel scary or feel complicated. And you don't quite understand what part of it terrifies you Mm -hmm. or, like, what buttons that's pushing. So make sure you're, like, very aware of what got it on that list in the first place Mm -hmm. because that's going to prepare you um, or – you're going to be better prepared with that information to create a scene that can be your intro scene, right? Because you're not going to dive headfirst into the scariest thing about the kink. You can look at some of the stuff around the outside of it that, because then we come to your second question, why are you trying to explore these soft limits, just like you were just talking about? And, And when you know why you're pursuing it, you can kind of create a either solo or partnered scene that leans towards the whys and away from the things that are scary to kind of dip your toe into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider combining it with something you know you're already into. 
mm-hmm. because that can make it easier to, if this is a kink you want to be turned on by, get turned on by it, right? It can feel a little bit safer, whatever. That could be complicated depending on the kink, right? Um, that could be distracting or it could, you know, if it is a pain thing and you've never combined pain and sex, like that would totally change the experience, right? So you don't want to layer things on and create something totally new, mm-hmm. but you may want to like have a little bit of the familiar in there. Um, and if you are doing it with a partner, all of this stuff should also be discussed and shared with them, whether you're developing it together or whether you bring that information to them once you've kind of done the work on your own. They need to be a part of all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's all really great advice. I think that there are lots of low stakes ways to play with certain kinks or activities without actually doing them. Mm-hmm. Some big ones that we might think of immediately are like, fantasizing uh like maybe you want to do a really really detailed fantasy where you're actually trying to visualize a scene happening from start to finish which i know is hard for certain types of people with certain types of brains but Mm -hmm. if you can do it it can be useful um i was also thinking we got an email this week from a listener who is a trans woman who has been enjoying watching vr porn made for Mm -hmm. like from the perspective of cis women Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I mean, that was for like gender reasons, but like I'm wondering if there are ways that you could play with like VR porn or like POV porn of the thing that you're interested in exploring to kind of help you like practice being there psychologically. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could like sex with a partner about it. You could write an erotic story about it happening to you. You could commission uh, an audio porn creator or a porn creator to do like a custom involving mm-hmm. this thing. Um, it could be like POV style, like second person, you do this and then you do this um, to kind of help you put yourself more in that position. Um, I'm just thinking about a lot of the things that have been limits for me. A lot of the time it was because I wasn't entirely sure how I would react in the moment if I did the thing. And I was just really scared about like, what if I try to do it with a partner and I freak out or have a panic attack and I look really silly or I feel Mm -hmm. embarrassed or I feel like I, you know, I'm offending or hurting the person I'm with. And like, even if these uh, fears are like not exactly rational, I think it can be really helpful to sort of practice doing that thing in lower stakes settings until you are able to do them in real life if you even decide that you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the only other thing I want to say about that is like, as with any solo kink, which we've talked about extensively on this show, I think we actually have a whole episode about solo kink. Um, you're going to want to put some like safety measures in place and aftercare measures and stuff, because it's just harder to access that stuff if you don't have a partner with you. So like mm-hmm. whatever things you think you might need for aftercare, have them nearby. Um, if it's like a really sensitive thing, like maybe let a friend know or let a trusted person know, even like maybe your therapist, they're going to be trying this so that in case something happens psychologically, you have somebody to talk to about it mm-hmm. um, and definitely have water and snacks nearby. I think that's just good advice regardless of what you're doing, basically. Yeah, I, I love the idea of letting people know because I know for me personally, it would be a lot more difficult for me to come to someone after a seat and go, can I tell you about this like <laughs> right. decision I made and these these consequences I had mm-hmm. <laughs> and like this this intense feeling that I had that I feel vulnerable about mm-hmm. versus going to someone and be like, I'm going to try this thing. And they show up a couple days later and go, how'd it go? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? But like, Often I do need to talk about those things. So having someone come to me and be like, no, no, I know this happened. 
mm-hmm. and you didn't bring it up, so maybe it didn't go great. Tell me more. Will right. be really helpful. And if you've explained the intricacies of the scene or the proposed scene to someone before you do it, then you won't have to try to explain everything that was going on in the moment when you might be actively mm-hmm. panicking or maybe even injured. I mean, I don't really know what you're planning on doing, but there's a lot of possibilities. And so I definitely find it easier <laughs> if someone already has the context. Like That's why like when I went on my first uh, shrooms trip, I like had conversations with people close to me, including you about mm-hmm. like not only that I was doing it and where I would be and all the details, but also like, here's what I'm kind of scared might happen. Just so mm-hmm. like we had a point of reference so that if that did happen, I could text you and be like, Hey, that thing that I was worried was happening is definitely happening. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. good. Thing and, to do. That also helps, gives you the added benefit, right, of that conversation before the scene. Likely the person you're telling this to is someone who you trust a lot and who knows you really well and can hear your whole plan and go, hey, maybe consider this like glaring gap in your planning that you just left there. Right. Maybe, wouldn't that maybe push this other button, right? They can give you this perspective because they understand you and can be like, hey, Maybe make sure that you have some water nearby for this sort of thing or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Bonus points if they're a person who's familiar with the kind of kink you're going to be doing as well. Mm-hmm. I briefly mentioned a therapist. Uh, I know not everybody is able financially to access therapy or to find a kink-positive therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some kink-positive therapists who offer like sliding scale services and maybe even online services. Um, who I think could be a good resource, especially if you just have this sort of like short-term thing that you want to work through, like an anxiety about a particular kink or activity. Uh, It could be good to do like a short-term series of sessions with someone like that to help Mm -hmm. you through it if you're able to afford it. Um, Just because I think stuff like this, particularly when we get into trauma and triggers and phobias and whatnot, it can be really, really useful to have someone who understands mental health. I I really agree. Um, This also made me think of, okay, sex workers are not therapists. Mm -hmm. However, this got, (laughs) what you were saying got me thinking down the professional rabbit hole. And a professional may also be a good person for exploring a soft limit with Mm -hmm. in that you can control the situation all the way through. There is less, not that you can treat sex workers as like, vending machines, right? But there is the the dynamic there partially is, you know, you're here to cater to what I need and I can lay out what I'm looking for here. And like, there is less emotional management on their part, right? They're not a partner who's going to be personally insulted if and like emotional if you get scared around them, mm-hmm. right? They are a professional who, you know, people have done edgy things with them before and they have a whole other like an emotional connection to what's happening there. Um, so for some people that may be, you know, a fuck ton scarier, but for others that might be a, a safer or more comfortable way to explore certain things. But again, all the communication things I talked about with partners stays the same here, right? You say, I am exploring this thing. It is edgy with for me for these reasons. This is the role I'm hoping you'll play in this experience with me, et cetera. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't think to do that because the popular image of like, say, a dominatrix is that they've like done it all, seen it all. And if you want to do sort of basic or, you know, tame stuff that they will laugh it off or want to do more extreme things. And in my experience, that's just not the case. Like most of Mm -hmm. the sex workers I know and most of the in particular pro-doms I know 
are very interested in hearing about like if you've never or rarely done the thing before or if you're nervous about it for xyz reasons like they want to make sure you have a good experience because that's their job so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you don't have to be scared about that at all i don't think Mm -hmm. okay here's a very interesting question uh can (laughs) can limits ever be toxic slash unreasonable Um, And the reason that I find this such an interesting question is that my gut answer is yes, but at the same time, I'm like, I also really strongly believe that your limit is valid no matter what it is. I think that the place where this becomes complicated for me is sometimes people set limits that like aren't really limits and are just Mm -hmm. a, a rule that they're setting to kind of like piss off their partner or assert some kind of power differential or something in ways that can Mm -hmm. be kind of like manipulative or even abusive but like I think it's just better to err on the side of assuming everybody's limits are valid because you really can't know someone's motivations or inner workings in that way unless you know you feel that they're being fully honest with you yeah so I'm gonna get into the meaning of the question again, as I often do, um, <laughs> because I feel like this question depends on the definitions of a lot of words, right? We were talking about <laughs> can limits be toxic or unhealthy? I think was kind of what we we're talking about. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So, like, can limits be toxic? I would say you can have limits that are probably unhealthy for you to have, mm-hmm. right? I, I can put up a bunch of limits to prevent myself from feeling feelings and call them limits, and they're probably not the healthiest decision for me. I don't know if we want to use the word toxic, but however we want to define that. Like, yeah, I think I can I can enforce limits in my own life that are unhealthy for me. I don't know that my limits can be unhealthy for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way i mean i guess things that are unhealthy for me would be unhealthy for the collective relationship right mm-hmm. um i think uh unreasonable i mean sure a limit can seem unreasonable to you i think uh, i think unreasonable is all in the eye of whose whose reasoning we're working <laughs> with yeah um if it is un- if you cannot parse the reasoning behind a limit, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you're not going to be great in relationship with that person. That does not mean that limit won't work in any relationship ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when things get toxic, we're looking at kind of what you were talking about, which is in the expression and the manifestation of limits, the way Mm -hmm. I react when my limits are violated or butted up against the way I articulate them to other people. Um, If I am a person who I have very strict, like, you are allowed to have your limits. And they, they should be respected. And we live in a world where through all kinds of serious events, sometimes they get butted up against, mm-hmm. right? And I think... I don't know. Now I'm down a weird rabbit hole. <laughs> but I think those are often the moments where people will get will te- will lash out and use it as a way to be militant and I never want like having a limit in place somewhere means I never have to confront anything that ever has to do with that. Mm-hmm. And everyone around me should accommodate that and make it so I never have to deal with any of those things. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation to have in the world. Um, and I don't think lashing out when forced to confront or articulate your boundaries and your limits is necessarily going to create the healthiest relationships in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that took, that was a lot of, <laughs> I lost it in the middle, but I think I brought it back around is what I'm saying. There's a <laughs> lot of nuance. Um, and it, it reminds me very much of the discussion in Dr. Liz Powell's book, uh, Building Open Relationships, about mm-hmm. the difference between boundaries, agreements, and rules. Uh, which pertains to non-monogamy, but I think also works really well when discussing kink. And the way that they talk about it is a boundary is something that you have for yourself regarding things that will happen to your body or like in your presence. And they're Mm -hmm. about you. They're centered on you. So like I personally, you know, your limit may be I I will not give blowjobs. That is something I will not do. Um, There Mm -hmm. are people who will try to set limits that extend onto other people and um, kind of affect what other people are able to do, which of course, if you're monogamous, like that's going to happen naturally. Like if my limit is I don't give blowjobs and I'm in, mon- in a monogamous relationship, I guess my partner's not getting blowjobs. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so like an example of a shitty well, boundary that's not really a boundary in non-monogamy would be like, I don't give blowjobs and therefore I am insecure about you receiving blowjobs from other people. So I'm not going to allow you to do that. And that's like, I would define that as a rule that is toxic and unreasonable um, in the context of a non-monogamous relationship. I mean, there may be Mm -hmm. reasons you want to negotiate that and agree on that in terms of maybe like STI reasons or something. But in general, like trying to push your, you know, boundaries onto someone else is just not really usually a healthy or fair thing to do. Right. I think like you're looking at, I don't give blowjobs is a limit and a boundary. Mm-hmm. You can't receive blowjobs. Mm-hmm. I have a limit that you can't receive blowjobs. <laughs> right, exactly. Is, that's that. That's not, that doesn't quite line up, right? Yeah. Um, I can have a limit that I don't give blowjobs and we can collectively have agreed that we're in a monogamous relationship. So, you know, th- th- that tra- fact, Blech. That tracks, you know, yeah. you not getting blowjobs follows by the end of that, right? Right. But my limit can't, like, or at least in the way I think both of us um, come to our relationships, we don't like to have things where my limit would be, like, controls what other people do with their bodies. Yeah. I think the limits themselves, if they are, you know, centered on what you personally will or won't do are usually reasonable. But the problem often arises when people use limits sort of in bad faith to manipulate mm-hmm. an outcome or out of resentment or something um, or, you know, as some kind of like ultimatum. Um, mm-hmm. So like I've at times in my past felt very strongly like pro period sex. And I've at times like thought when I wasn't actively dating anyone, like, I think I'm just going to set a policy for myself that I won't date people who are not down with period sex. I think that that's just like how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the problem comes when you like start dating someone and you don't ask them on the first date, are you cool with period <laughs> sex? And then maybe it turns out that you like them and they are not down with period sex. Like it would be unfair for me to then be like, well, I have a limit that I'm only okay with people who want to have period sex, like essentially that I'm sexually assaulting them by forcing them to do a thing that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And so 
Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a very nuanced and complicated thing. I think that we could actually do an entire episode just talking about this one question, preferably with mm-hmm. some mental health professionals. Um, but, I mean, just generally keep your limits to yourself and your own behavior and try not to set them in bad faith. Like, try to set them for reasons that, like, are actually important to you. Although, again, with the caveat that, like, people can and will tell you sometimes that your reasons are bad and illegitimate and invalid, and they're usually wrong. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. Here, like, the thing for the thing for that with, with me is, like, often people are taught... If if a person is telling you that like your boundary is unrealistic, that means it's unrealistic in relationship with them, right? right? Unre- exactly. Like, like we are speaking to the relationships that we are comfortable having, or in many cases, the relationships we are comfortable or uh, acquainted with seeing, mm-hmm. which is also very true. Like sometimes people will attack a boundary or a limit because it is just outside the norm of what they expect, right? I think about, you know, some ace folks have a limit around they don't have sex and people mm-hmm. would say that is an unreasonable expectation to go into a relationship with. And mm-hmm. it's not. There are plenty of <laughs> ace folks in relationship with other ace folks or aloe folks or any combination thereof mm-hmm. that are having great relationships with limits similar to those, you know? Um, So if a relation, if, if someone is telling you a limit is unreasonable, they're telling you about their own expectations for relationships, not about some, I don't know, worldwide standard for what a relationship needs to be and what your limits need to line up for. And I think they're like, I don't know, you were talking about the period sex thing. I think there certainly will be situations where you'll get all the way through and you'll realize, wow, this thing that was important to me, we just didn't bring it up. I mean, I feel like the trope is that it's always having kids in straight mm-hmm. couples, right? And you don't mm-hmm. find out until way down the line. And there really isn't much of a compromise on that. Yeah. Um, and <sighs> there is a way to weaponize that limit, right? There is a way to turn it into an ultimatum to make it a, this is a thing that has to be true for me. And there is also a way to come to your partner and say, wow, we didn't talk about this. And I didn't realize that we have different opinions and like, let's be vulnerable and have the feelings and discuss this, this little like sore spot where both of our limits are rubbing up against each other. And find out if there is some wiggle room in there, if there is a place that makes sense for both of us, or if these limits are stronger and more important to us than this relationship, which Mm. sounds like a really shitty thing to say, but that can be true. A limit can be more important than, you know, fostering that combined relationship. And if that's the case, trying to force a relationship around that limit is going to hurt a hell of a lot more, I think, for everyone involved. Yep. Totally. I think a lot of times when I've felt that someone else's limit was toxic or unreasonable in some way, it was usually just because like it was personally making me unhappy, even if it was a Mm -hmm. fully valid limit for them to have, because it was just incompatible with the type of relationship I wanted to have with them. So things like I I dated someone once who I said, like, could you not text other partners incessantly while we're together? It makes me Mm -hmm. feel like you don't want to be with me and you're with them digitally rather than being here with me physically. And it makes me feel, you know, unloved and unwanted. And Mm -hmm. he was like, well, I mean, if we're spending 
a day, two or three days or whatever together. And I am texting my other partners like hardly at all during that time. I don't think that that's really fair to them. And Mm -hmm. I see his point. I still disagree that it's necessary for him to be from my viewpoint, like literally incessantly, like, like every few minutes taking out the phone and texting someone else, like while we're watching things or having a conversation like that Mm -hmm. to me was not okay. And that's, I'm allowed to have that limit. He was Mm -hmm. also allowed to have his limit. I was noticing that it was making me um, irrationally angry and sad and frustrated and, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, triggering a lot of feelings of low self-worth and stuff. And that is on me to recognize that and be like, well, I don't think I want to deal with that anymore. And we've talked about it and you're not willing to budge on that. So I guess we have to break up. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example of a situation that is like sounded, I don't know, again, the word toxic, how do we define these things? But sounded (laughs) like, right, for you, it was a thing that was causing a lot of distress and causing harm to the relationship and like was important. And, you know, my partner has another partner and has had like several other partners in times dating me and dated people or whatever. And we both have ADHD and are always on our phones. So like I'll constantly glance over and they're like texting someone else or whatever. Half the time I've gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, they have a message for us. No, that's your phone. If they're not talking to me, it's fine. Because we have the same phone and I'm friends Mm. with their partner. So I'm like, oh, he wants to say something to me. No, no. Oh, no. No, it's not. Um, But anyway, uh, so like for me, it is not a thing that I – that. I even really register all that often unless I'm reminding myself not to be a creep. So um, it, it's just a perfect example of how, like, I don't think a limit by definition, certainly you give me enough time, I'll come up with a, an example of how I'm wrong here. But I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think a single defi- a single limit by definition can be toxic 100% of the time. I think it all pertains to the relationships and the people in them and the dynamics that they are feeding into and and creating, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as with most things, it helps enormously to communicate. Um, I have a friend who I like to hang out with, and usually I would go over to her house and we would hang out for like an hour or two. And then because I'm chronically ill and super introverted and sleepy, I would be like, okay, I'm going to go home. Bye. Um, and she, after a while, brought it up with me that, like, uh, it seemed like we preferred different lengths of hangout. Like, she wanted to hang out for, I don't know, like, three or four hours, which mm-hmm. I definitely have done in the past and, like, probably will do again at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized that because we had not been talking about this, there had been this, like, unspoken weird feelings on both sides where, like, she was feeling rejected when I would leave that early and I was, like, sensing something was up and feeling sort of, mm-hmm. like, guilty about it and feeling, like, kind of guilt-tripped about it. And as soon as you talk about it and be like, well, I'm feeling this way because of this and I'm feeling this way of this then it's so much easier to hash it out and like figure out where people's limits and boundaries are coming from which can help a lot Mm -hmm. yeah I absolutely get that that's a dynamic I find myself in um obviously not the the exact exact situation Mm -hmm. right um but situations with my partner a lot because they tend towards a more anxious attachment style I tend towards more avoidant like we've talked about this right if either of us are on a weird brain day, one or two sentences here or there can be totally misinterpreted and mm-hmm. we will go off on an anxiety spiral about it and then yeah. come back together and just have to be like, oh, well, this is 
This is what my brain said about that. And it's like, oh, no, this is – I was – we thought we were mad at each other about the same thing. And really, we were both mad at ourselves about entirely different things. Yeah. Um, we should just use our words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my relationship, once in a while, Matt will just be like, you're not mad at me, right? And I'm like, no, I thought you were mad at me. And then <laughs> neither of us were mad at either of us. It just happens sometimes. You just got to talk it out. Yeah, we're usually both sitting on like opposite ends of the couch being like, I'm ruining their day. I'm ruining their day and they hate me. I'm ruining everything. It's, it's, it's okay. All right. Well. You gotta say words with your mouth or with your thumbs on your phone screen. It's yeah. it's amazing how much you can not know this even if you've been teaching it for like a decade. Classic. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> This person said, if one of my partners has a limit that my other partners don't have, how can I avoid slipping up and accidentally crossing their limit out of habit? Mm. And I will tell a story. The content note is non-consensual choking. Cool. Um, I had a fuck buddy who was a big, kinky, domly, sadistic person. Uh, I said big. I don't mean physically big. I mean, he was big into those things. (laughs) Um, Quite the opposite, actually. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being physically big. I just wanted to make it clear because it seemed like an odd descriptor in that context. (laughs) Um, So he had multiple other partners, all of whom he told me were into being choked. And I, at that time, had a limit about choking. And he kept fucking accidentally, quote unquote, choking me. I actually think that this particular guy did not literally forget. I think that he on some level got off on pushing my boundaries. Um, but that's a particular situation. I could see how this could happen genuinely inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I was in this situation, like I had a partner who was, you know, good intentioned, but kept accidentally choking me, for example, I might like physically wear something that made it mm-hmm. hard to do like so that they could sort of learn it over time like maybe the deterrent would sort of stop them from doing it after a while spiky collars from hot topic right <laughs> like maybe, maybe <laughs> it's like a zappy like inside out shock collar where like <laughs> they get shocked if they touch it <laughs> i well no so i have I, I have some thoughts on this um and i'm weirdly gonna reference the book i've been reading on design hmm. um because it talks about um, how there, there's a whole chapter on errors, um, and they talked about in most cases when humans make mistakes, uh, it is when we're on autopilot and in that flow state, um, or with things that we are very used to doing, um, right? Which to me just sounds like top space mm-hmm. um, or any sort of se- sexy circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. And it is when we do things in the same sequence. And it's the fourth or fifth step that has changed, Mm. right? Um, So think about if you're driving somewhere new, but the first like five steps are like your drive to work. Mm -hmm. And at step six, you make a left instead of a right. And then all of a sudden you start the drive and you look up and you're at work and you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) I I wasn't going to work. I was going to the store, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, Same kind of idea. If you start yourself down a path, your brain just kind of follows it. Mm -hmm. So... All of that is to say, if you are finding yourself making these kinds of errors of routine and of habit and of autopilot, something like, even if it's not a physical deterrent, right, but if the part, if it is a choking thing, if the partner who doesn't like this wears a certain kind of collar, right, a certain material or something, mm-hmm. um, 
or, you know, if the, like, if the limit is a certain word, it might be harder. Um, but, you know, maybe if the limit is a certain word, you only use it in certain sentences with the partners who are okay with it. And then you just avoid the whole sentences rather than, because I don't know if, um, if I have one partner who hates the word slut Mm-hmm. And I call all my other partners a good little slut, and I call this partner a good little pup or a good little boy or something. Mm-hmm. It, th- those two sentences are going to come out flip-flopped sometimes. Like, yeah. uh, my eyes are going to be closed and my dick's going to be hard and we're going to make some mistakes. <laughs> These things happen. Yeah. Um, so maybe everyone is a good little slut and the partner who isn't a slut is, like, my obedient boy or, mm-hmm. like, et cetera. Yep. Um, so – Take the item that is a boundary and 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 um, kind of look at the things that surround it and make those as separate as possible as well. Um, make the boundary something that stands out in your mind, and eventually it, it can become. Uh, it will hopefully uh, that will become a little more natural, and it will come to like. Even, I don't know, if that partner, you know, you you play mostly at their house. Like, you can teach your brain we don't use the word slut in this room. <laughs> like, that's a thing that a brain can be, you know, we're kind of talking about, to some extent, conditioning yourself. But, mm-hmm. like, sometimes that's how I make my brain work, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think conditioning is an interesting comparison. I feel like with this guy who kept choking me, at a certain mm-hmm. point I did get so frustrated that when I saw him going to do it, I would shout nope um, mm-hmm. because we had already discussed it. So he knew exactly yeah. what I meant when I said that. And uh, having someone shout nope at you in the middle of a sexy, sexy scenario, I feel like is going to register in your brain. Like mm-hmm. it's going to really get hammered in there over time. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, not that it's this person's responsibility to have to keep constantly reminding you of their limit, but m- maybe they'd be willing to help you with that. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say this is sort of tangential, but. Uh, I think it's important if you if you do keep fucking up and overstepping your partner's limit, like make sure that you apologize appropriately for that and lay out specific action steps, like discuss what you're going to like try to do. Because I know that I would find it really off-putting if my partner not only kept doing that, but also kept like not acknowledging that it was a serious thing and that it, mm-hmm. you know, could be seriously hurtful. Um because that just makes it feel like it's minor to you. And uh, I- I'm not saying that it necessarily is, listening to who wrote this, but like you definitely want your partner to know that it is not a minor thing to you. Mm-hmm. As per usual, when we get questions that seem to be uh, for like a dom or top experience, I would love to hear mm-hmm. from doms and tops in our audience if they have thoughts on that question, by the way. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that it does happen. I just don't hear it being discussed very much from that perspective. Yeah, and I mean, of course, we bring this up all the time, but if uh, you haven't already talked about why it is a limit, how it feels when that limit is violated, Mm -hmm. um, what you experience in those moments, how to best care for you when those limits are bumped up against, all of that, Mm -hmm. that is also added context that is going to be really helpful in just kind of cementing it in your partner's brain, right? I mm-hmm. didn't like the word slut because 
I had bullies in high school that like beat me up and called me that shit and like mm. it made me feel really bad or it's linked to, you know, things my parents said to me when I came out as queer and like it brings mm-hmm. back those bad memories or, you know, whatever the fuck you want to, um, you, you want to say, but like explain how and how and why it became a limit. Um, because that can just, our brains remember stories. And yeah. if you can give your partner the story for how you got here in as much or as little as you want to share, it can make things more real. And that that's not to say that they don't believe you prior to you telling someone it's true, mm-hmm. but bringing them through that story, just our, our brains comprehend it and, and grok it a little bit better that way. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think memories that have like an emotional element and or a visual element will tend to stick in your Mm -hmm. head so much better. And I've definitely noticed that in myself too. like partners telling me exactly what you said. Like, I don't like to be called this particular word because X, Y, Z mean person called me that when I was this age or whatever. And the the detail of the story allows me to picture that actually happening. And then I have an emotional response, which is like, oh, no, I like I want to protect my partner in that moment. Mm from that horrible experience. And so, yeah, I, I do definitely think that sticks in your head better. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting question and perhaps a whole other episode, but uh, someone did ask it. Can limits in and of themselves be a kink? And that was the whole question. And there are so many ways in which I could answer yes and a few ways in which I could answer no. But, I mean, it depends on what exactly – you mean by this? I mean, certainly there's consensual non-consent, which mm-hmm. is sort of the play acting of busting through limits that are not actually limits, but you're only pretending that they are for the purposes of the scene. So that mm-hmm. could look like a rape fantasy scene or any number of other things. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's also people who are into kind of like edge play or, you know, various things related to that, that involve like pushing your own limits and eroticizing pushing your own limits, like doing things that you really don't like, but you like that you really don't like them as we were discussing Mm -hmm. last week. What do you think about this question? Yeah. I mean, I definitely fall into the latter category, right? Where for me, I don't know, I liken kink to like almost extreme sports, right? In the same Mm -hmm. way we hear people like that, like that, uh, people who love running marathons or skydiving and skiing, ridiculous mountain climbing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they often talk about, I just want to see what my body can do. I want to see what it feels like. I want to understand. I want to, you know, push myself, etc. Mm-hmm. Is often how I approach kink. So, like, sure, if you want to call that a fetish for limits, I'm not going to fight you on it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there's better language that I, I often used, but yeah, okay. Um, But, I mean, there is also something to, like, if you want to interpret that, like, um, fetishizing almost denial, someone else Mm. just articulating and – I mean, because basically that is articulating and respecting boundaries or limits or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And there is certainly something to be played with there on both sides of the coin mm-hmm. um, of pushing for things and not CNC, not pushing for it and getting it or like kind of coercive CNC or like aggressive or whatever, like pushing and pushing and still getting no, just all the way through. Just because they like, there's certainly something to be said for that too. That could certainly be fun too. Um, that reminds me of uh, pro financial 
dominatrixes. Um, I don't usually say that in its full form. I usually would just say fandoms. Um, <laughs> because sometimes, you know, the client's fetish may be to send money and then beg for, you know, in exchange for the money, like maybe some pictures or a greeting mm-hmm. or something. And then the fandom is going to say, no, like you gave me the money. Um, that's all. Yeah. That's what I do. And then maybe that's in itself kind of a turn on for the person paying the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I think there are a lot of ways a fetish for limits could work. I mean, there is also the version of this that is just a rationalization for shitty coercive behavior, yep. which is also a thing that that combination of words mm-hmm. <laughs> could mean. Um, but I don't know that like you go to your local kink con and on your fetish list you write limits. There are going to be a ton of people that are like, oh, samesies, I know exactly what you mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so is there a fetish for something? I feel like the answer, no matter what the something is, the answer is, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so in this case, yeah, sure, there is a way I could fetishize that word and a way we could make it you know, look that way. But you're not... I don't think going to, you know, rally a community of people around that. I think you're going to want to look for things like CNC or edge play. Um, And and language like that is where you're going to find people who play with something akin to what this sounds like. Mm -hmm. Unless you're the latter, in which case you don't need to find people to play with. You need to find some books to read. Yeah, it's interesting. As we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about the the shitty abuse of people who are turned on by pushing people's literal, actual hard limits. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens all the time. We see it a lot on the internet. Uh, I think because it's easier to do it there and get away with it and not have anybody know who you are. You know, I think that a lot mm-hmm. of times when people send unsolicited dick pics, it's for this reason, unfortunately. Um they get off on the power trip of doing something to someone that they know they don't want to have done to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if that type of person could, you know, through enough education and self-work, turn into the kind of person who would do that in a more, like, consensual BDSM kind of way where it's like, mm-hmm. well, I still get off on, like, quote-unquote forcing you to do things that you, quote-unquote, don't want to do except – of all the air quotes and all the discussions and negotiations that would come before we do that. Um, I don't know. I would like to hope and think that that transformation could happen. I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly think honestly that it comes from a root of the same place, right? Fantasies Mm -hmm. of power and, you know, a lot of that is obviously rooted into culture and that's, it's a whole other episode. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that, like, th- there is a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know that their desires would look exactly the same at the end of it either. Right. But, like, yeah, there are people in the world who fetishize pushing people outside of their limits. Mm-hmm. That can just be a true thing. Like, and, and, you can do a lot of work and it can look really non-consensual and gross or it can look like the kind of dominance I like to play with who enjoy shepherding me p- out past the limits that I looked at and said, those terrify me. I can't do it alone. Yeah. And they come and hold my hand and drag me kicking and screaming across the line that said, I want to go to the other side of that line, <laughs> right? 
you know, there, there, there is a safe way to do that. And there is like, sure, there is the fantasy of CNC and you can play it up and you can convince your brain for a little while that these things are happening. And there are scenes where like, there are a lot of things that are not hot at all until someone tells me to do them, in <laughs> which case they become hot. And that person has forced me to do it. And the act of forcing it makes it hot and still consensual, right? And yep. still forced. All of those things are true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think that journey is absolutely possible. Uh, and, like, although I will say, once again, I do not know how many of them will get to that journey and decide that what they really want is kink and dominance, and how many of them will get to that end of the journey and realize that the things we do to men and masculine folks in this culture are really <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have that mutual friend who used to be super dommy and kinky and really identified that way and was like into the community and everything. And then he went to therapy and worked on some really old issues and like didn't feel kinky anymore after that. Like he was basically mm -hmm. like, I'm healed of that, which is a complicated idea because a lot of people mistakenly think that kink is only ever born from trauma and is itself you know, a disorder or a disease of some kind. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't think that's always or even mostly the case at all. Uh, but in this particular case, that seemed to have been how this man understood his own psychology is the kink was coming from a bad place for him. And I'm glad that he dealt with it that way. I just don't think that that's a typical experience. Yeah, I mean, you can approach any sort of behavior from healthy and unhealthy contexts, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't think necessarily like someone who is kinky is going to go to therapy and necessarily kink is going to go away. Right. But someone who is just enacting power fantasies online and not even calling them kink, mm -hmm. um, I think can go and have, you know, do some work on themselves and whatever that looks like and may come out the other end as a kinky motherfucker and may come out the end going, wow, I learned some weird things about power in this culture. <laughs> wow. Yep. And maybe both of those are true, but, you know, who knows? That's a great esoteric uh, <laughs> thought to end on. I'm going to limit the length of this episode by stopping it now. Uh, I have been Kate Sloan. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. I have a book coming out, which you can pre-order at 101kinkythings.com. That's 101kinkythings.com. And I'm also, if you're hearing this fairly soon after this episode comes out, I am telling a story on body storytelling this weekend. It's Saturday night. And tickets are available online because it's all via live stream. I'm telling a story that has some sex in it and is, I would say, more so about feelings than it's about sex. But it does have some sex in it. So uh, <laughs> you can find the info about that at bodystorytelling.com. And that's body as in B-A-W-D-Y storytelling.com. Where is your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at BexTalkSex.com, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. I'm also naked on the internet as Billy Lore, so you can find me at Billy Lore on Twitter with links to all of the adjacent places there. Together with Dildorks, you can find us at Patreon.com slash TheDildorks to throw a couple of bucks our way, or by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Okay, I have a question, and then I'm going to tell a story related to it that might be triggering. Oh, okay. I don't know why I'm putting the content note here. I'll put it before I actually tell the story. <laughs> okay. Um, this listener asked, if one of my partners has a limit that the other, the others don't, as in my other partners don't have this other limit. Mm-hmm. No, nope, so let me say that again so that Great. it makes more sense. 